Welcome to the NJ Criminal Podcast. Welcome back to New Jersey Criminal Podcast. Today is the end of the first week of the trial of United States of America versus Galen Maxwell. Opening arguments began on Monday, uh, and the first wit witness that the government called was the pilot for Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Larry Vasosky. Uh, and we've heard testimony throughout the week. And uh, the one thing that I found very interesting uh, was the connection to New Jersey. And here today to talk to me about that connection is enterprise reporter for the record in USA Today, Christopher Mogg. Christopher, welcome. Hi, Meg. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. So like many of us, um, I have been uh, glued to the news watching the development of the trial this week. Uh, and obviously because of the federal rules, uh, unlike state trials where you might have uh, court TV or other live broadcast, uh, the reporters are allowed in the courtroom to, a, to some limited extent, uh, but the trial can't be you know, recorded or rebroadcast. Uh, so we are all relying on uh, reading articles about the reporters uh, who are there and their observations. Uh, and I found it interesting that the first witness was uh, a pilot. Now, the indictment, the superseding indictment against Galen Maxwell uh, charges eight counts, uh, the first six of which involve allegations that uh, she and others uh, trafficked minors or conspired to traffic minors. Obviously, in order for the government to prove those charges, they have to prove that there was actual trafficking or traveling. Uh, and so one of the uh, big topics throughout uh, the initial arrest of Jeffrey Epstein uh, at the Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, uh, and a lot of articles since then have focused on uh, his travels on his infamous Boeing 727, commonly known now as the Lolita Express and other uh, aircraft. Um, and uh, you know, I was doing a little bit of research and I came across your article uh, from 2019, August of 2019, uh, where you described the Teterboro Airport and how it really was the travel hub of his sex traffic ring. So I, I appreciate you joining me today to uh, give us a little bit of the background that you learned uh, when you first wrote that article back in 2019 and, and anything that you've learned since then, uh, because it really does seem that this international travels by Epstein, uh, there's been uh, testimony just this week about uh, Bill Clinton, Kevin Spacey, Bill Gates, etc. Uh, a, a lot of it, a large majority of it was uh, them flying in and out of this airport in New Jersey. So why don't you tell us about it? Sure. Thank you for having me. So I had uh, I was I was similarly drawn to this case. I'm not in my journalism typically drawn to celebrity cases like this, but I found the facts of Jeffrey Epstein's alleged abuses and then his uh, the way that he largely escaped consequences for his first uh, conviction in Florida on on many multiple charges of sex trafficking, um, gripping and dark and awful. Uh, so when he was 
when Epstein was arrested at Teterboro Airport in the summer of 2019, I was actually out of the country. I was on a writing fellowship up in Canada, literally on the side of a mountain in the Canadian Rockies. And um, so I was struck by, oh, I've read about this guy. He was arrested. He was arrested at Teterboro. Uh, The record newspaper where I'm based did one or two short stories on that, but didn't really, you know, it's a daily newspaper uh, with uh, people who are operating under the gun of deadlines. And so nobody had really the bandwidth to think what a remarkable thing this is. Uh, What occurred to me immediately is that um, Epstein, from what little I knew at the outset, liked to be a big deal. He had a lot of money and he liked to show that he has a lot of money. And for people with those two qualities, Teterboro is an important place. Uh, to hanger a, an airplane at Teterboro costs $60,000 a month if you want to park it inside. And there's a long waiting list. And, T- and uh, Epstein, just through a quick search I did while I was <laughs> in my little cabin in the, in the mountains, he had at sometimes four aircraft parked there. <laughs> Some wow. indoors, some outdoors. That's that's a lot of by my money. math, quarter of a million dollars a month. Yeah, and it wasn't all indoors. And you know, we had a Sikorsky helicopter that was outdoors and things, and one was a small two propeller Gulfstream uh, plane. So you know, uh, yes, uh, but at least one parked indoors. I mean, he was he was spending a lot of money. He could have parked these planes at Westchester. County Airport, um, just a little bit farther from his home on the Upper East Side, uh, and he could have paid a little more than half. So, being at Teter, as context, I had already covered. Um, I was a transportation reporter at the Record before they gave me a column, so I knew a bit, just barely enough to be dangerous, on issues of regional transportation. Teterboro Airport is owned and operated by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. So that's that's why it resonated for me. Of like, a lot of people look at Teterboro and they think it's an airport for small planes in a swamp in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not untrue, but I knew enough that to know that in in this among uh, the international wealthy, Teterboro has a different connotation there. When you when you are Queen Latifah, I mean, for example. Queen Latifah, Justin Bieber have their photos, Polaroids of them, just inside the door of the subway uh, sandwich shop at the end of the Teterboro runway. Because if you're about to get on a, on a cross-country flight on your own plane, you need a sandwich. Mm-hmm. One <laughs> of know, the places Teterboro people want to be seen. Yeah, you want to be able to say that you flew through Teterboro. And for as humble as it looks... It really is a place for the rich and famous. Uh, when I got back from my from Canada, I started looking around, and uh, there had been an earlier case uh, in which Ms. Maxwell had been charged in Florida, and uh, her uh, many of the documents, most of the documents from that case, uh, had been sealed by court order, and on appeal, those those records were unsealed and open to the public. So um, I found them online, started going through them, and I was immediately surprised by the volume of flights. These are all, I should describe them, it's a PDF of originally handwritten documents, like a grid, like a spreadsheet, uh, written by just one 
of Jeffrey Epstein's six pilots. This and was David I found Rogers. that I found a copy uh-huh. of that online, and you referenced that in your August 2019 article. I had a question: Is that did he complete all of the logs, or just the logs for the flights that he was the pilot? Rogers, that is, because Epstein. Just to be clear, Epstein had more than one pilot. Uh, again, mm-hmm. first witness called by the government this week uh, was the Larry Vasosky. Um, you mm-hmm. referenced just a minute ago, I believe, the uh, logs written by David Rogers, who was one of the other, I think, six total pilots. Yes. So each pilot keeps their own log. Um, so David Rogers, the, these 103 pages, I believe, of, of sheets, of, of log sheets, were just kept by one of Epstein's six pilots. Um, the others didn't keep any logs? The others yeah. may or may not have had logs, but mm-hmm. uh, they were not subject to the unsealing Got it. Uh, decision by the Florida court. Okay. Um, so that indicate that's a hint of how often um, he was flying. Epstein was flying. Um, just this this is presumably a small subset of the total number of flights. Okay, right. So then the, your article mm-hmm. referencing like at least 730 flights to and from Teterboro between 95 and 2013, it could be much, much more than that. That's just one pilot of six. Got it. Okay. Right. And the other thing that's, in, that's uh, maybe interesting to know and maybe important is that these are not FAA required documents. The pilots don't have to keep these. The reason why uh, David Rogers said he kept them is because uh, it is an important piece of information for maintenance of the airplane and ensuring the airplane. You want to know how many hours the engines are up and running, roughly how many miles it has flown. Um, and so it's it's kind of an internal document for the Epstein business operations to say, when does it need a new engine? Uh, but it's these things. Th- the reason why that becomes important is because the way that David Rogers kept these records changed pretty drastically. So they start in 1995, and Rogers is writing down, in most cases, the full names of every person on board, with some important exceptions. A lot of the what appear to be the younger women that were flying on the Boeing 727 uh, were often just the initials. Mm -hmm. So some of those align with uh, people who say they were victimized by Epstein. Uh, Some of them don't, but we just have the initials to go on. Um, So after Epstein was charged in 2007 uh, on sex trafficking, uh, (laughs) Rogers changed the way he wrote his notes. He stopped putting anyone's full name on. It became either just a hash mark for number of people on the plane or um, people's initials. So it became a lot more anonymous. And we don't have any Um, indication at this point whether he did that of his own accord or whether he was directed to do that. No, we don't know. I'm sure if he's called to testify, we will find out. Yes, yeah, hopefully. So um, I, I find it interesting that this otherwise humble place, you know, is, is this symbol for the international elite that's that is a major reason one would assume why Epstein chose it to be the focus of his operations. I also should say that there's not a complete Venn diagram overlap here. So we know that 
from from Rogers's other logs, well, the, the same document that you and I have both looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump flew on at least one flight. Uh, Bill Clinton flew on, I believe, three flights, but it's been a little while since I looked. Mm-hmm. None of them went through Teterboro, so I can't. I didn't look at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, so I, I can't understand. Necessarily you were say focusing who on, else the was on the plane. Yeah. Um, so then, so so Teterboro. What else is interesting there? Well, it, I mean, it seems there. to me okay, that Teterboro, when when Epstein was arrested, he was coming into Teterboro, right? Secret operation. He was arrested. He was flying in from Paris. So the flights going in and out of Teterboro were all over the country and all over the world. It wasn't as though Teterboro just traveled to the Palm Beach residence or the Santa Fe residence. So it was yeah, it was his basis for uh, flights to Paris, to Aspen, Colorado, to London. Is um, that the f- so yeah, we're assuming or do we know for sure that the Teterboro Airport is the airport that he would always fly along with Maxwell when she flew with him uh, anytime they were leaving or coming into the Manhattan residence? That I can't say with 100 percent certainty they did occasionally fly to Westchester, mm-hmm. um, usually when Bill Clinton was on the plane. Okay. Uh, and a couple of occasions they flew to Newark. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely safe to say that uh, for his new for Epstein's New York home, uh, Teterboro was the was the base. Since you wrote the article in August of nineteen, um, did you continue uh, your um, research or um, investigation regarding uh, the connection to Teterboro? Is there anything that you learned after you wrote the article in, in 2019 that you uh, felt was worthy of uh, either continued uh, analysis or continued articles? Yes. So we did, uh, I teamed up with two other reporters from the record, uh, Abbott Koloff and Gene Rimbaugh, who are amazing investigative journalists. And we we wrote one more story about Teterboro. And the focus of that story was to talk about this world of private. It's it's the world of private aviation. Not all of which is for the elite. I mean, this can be um, crop dusters uh, taking off from grass airports. Uh, It can be dentists with a little plane. Um, A small subset of this private aviation world are rich people like Jeffrey Epstein. And the same rules apply to all of them for the same reason, which is uh, you and I are used to getting onto a United flight at pick a major national international airport, and we have to go through the TSA screening and our bags are checked. Uh, In private aviation, none of that applies. Uh, Nobody's checking your bags, nobody's checking the people on the plane. Um, And the reasoning for that, both from uh, the, the FAA agrees with uh, the private aviation industry on the argument that owning a plane is like owning a car. We would never suggest that state police should uh, check our bags and our cars before we take our cars out of the garage. Along that same principle, it's a private plane, you own it, you get to take whatever you want. And if through other means we find you are ferrying or trafficking drugs or underage girls, then we have other means to uh, find that and prosecute that. But that's something that private aviation is not 
the primary lens through which we do enforcement of those problems. Um, so that, arguably a privacy interest. Yes, yeah, that, that, they, that, that is assumed and implied. Um, that becomes a, uh, because we, <laughs> I think because people get a little annoyed at the privileges and power of the rich, when you look at what is actually happening at a place like Teterboro or the Palm Beach airport where he flew, where Epstein flew often, um, these are not the airport experiences that 99% of Americans have. Um, the focus of operations at Teterboro are five what are called fixed base operations. And um, they have a long history in, in aviation because they actually predated the creation of airports. They predated the word airport. And it just meant, here's a place where you can refuel your plane uh, and get ready for your flight. They have evolved into reasonably opulent uh, way stations, lounges for the rich as their planes are fueled and serviced and ready to go and their, and their crews assemble. So uh, I and a photographer snuck into the one, the fixed base operation that Epstein used. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's, it's a nice corporate airport lounge, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, with mm -hmm. massaging seats for the plane, you know, pilots. Uh, they have bunks for pilots who need to sleep there. Um, they have a, not, an, not an amazing restaurant, but a little restaurant in there. They have uh, leather seats for people to sit in. Uh, they have, you know, they make it as nice as you can, <laughs> as nice as it can be when you're still looking at planes and getting blasted by jet fuel. Right. Uh, and it's, that's part of the expense of using a place like Teterboro. A place like Teterboro, I mean, these, these flights that were taken uh, by Epstein, Maxwell, and others uh, began before 9-11 and, and extended after 9-11, 2001. Um, did any, do you, are you aware if any uh, rules changed from the perspective of the FAA um, post 9-11 with regard to uh, these private planes? Um, you know, in other words, you indicated at the beginning of our conversation that the logs that you reviewed by Rogers, one of the six pilots, were not required. Um, that that mm -hmm. surprises me to to hear that the FAA still wouldn't require some sort of um, you know reporting requirements or knowledge of you know private planes flying all over the country or the world. Yeah, no, I mean it's really just uh, you need to file a flight plan. That's it. Okay. Have any? Do you know if any of those flight time. plans have been reviewed by the government? Or have come into uh, review. No, I, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, it, it will be interesting, and I'm 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 not sure if uh, either the government or the um, you know defense intend to call any of the other pilots. Um, I did review uh, a an account of the direct testimony of Larry Vasosky on Monday and Tuesday, and the cross examination. And it sounded to me like the defense were uh, pointing to um, what, what you said a minute ago about the use of initials of the, um, of, of, the, of the folks that were on the plane to suggest that perhaps, you know, um, for example, my initials MH, um, 
there could be somebody else with those initials. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I was on that flight, that kind of a thing. Um, right. Not that one I've ever been on a private things, plane, but. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things there is that uh, MH had her own plane. Mm, right. <laughs> there's a, uh, you know, there's, there's a, it wasn't the big 727. It was usually, well, part, part of the time it was a Sikorsky helicopter and part of the time it was a twin prop plane uh, with MH. With, oh, it was, G- it's GM. A vanity GM. license. Uh, with GM, sorry, right, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I don't have a like private a plane as far as I plate. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, vanity license plate in the aviation world. If you, you can pay extra to have your initials as part of your tail number. Right, in and, fact, uh, didn't the uh, the Boeing 727, the Lolita Express, didn't it end in J-E? Yes, uh-huh. Right. And there was a plane, sorry, I wasn't saying my, my point clearly. There, there, was a, there was always a plane at Teterboro with GM, Forges and Maxwell. So Another thing her that link, I mention, so so she uh, had a, her own private plane at Tierborough Airport. If she owned it or not is unclear, but it appears that it was named for her. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I should mention, I maybe I haven't uh, nailed this down specifically. the The real issue when you're looking at this case for Jeffrey Epstein is. Because it's private private aviation, there are no rules for uh, security, really. Uh, if you're coming in from, uh, as he was on his final plane, uh, final flight uh, from Paris, if you're flying internationally, the TSA is allowed to meet you at your destination and and check your bags and you know, make sure you're not bringing in any illegal goods. Uh, so that that does exist. Uh, domestic flights, there are there's no authority there's no structure for that but there is an informal piece to it um i believe it was vanity fair magazine interviewed people at the st thomas airport which is close to the island little st james that uh jeffrey epstein owned uh just a short little boat right away mm-hmm. um they reported to to again i think it was vanity fair seeing epstein landing and leaving in the company of many young underage women and getting their noses bent out of shape thinking that's not right you shouldn't be doing that you're old enough to be their father or their grandfather um there are this is not like landing at teterboro is not landing at a crop duster airport there are people there and if there were people who noticed this strange looking group at saint thomas it stands to reason that there would have been people working at Teterboro who noticed the same thing. Yeah, and uh, just as an aside, the flight would would fly direct, correct, from Teterboro to St. Thomas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, so, interesting, whether or not there would yeah. be any witnesses to um, the, you know, boarding uh, of these uh, of these folks on the on the plane. Yeah. And the Port Authority told us that they offer trainings, they, they run trainings for workers, uh, and, and one part of that training is to instruct workers that if you see anything suspicious uh, uh, to indicate drug trafficking or human trafficking, here are the avenues to report that. Um, Do we know whether there's any to... surveillance at Teterboro? Um, I know that there are private security cameras at each of these fixed base operations. Mm-hmm. Um, Port Authority uh, has its own police force, 
uh, and they patrol the perimeter. Um, police also help with them at the perimeter, and then TSA has authority to come on site and the FBI anytime they want. Um, yeah, it's nothing. It's definitely nothing as intensive as you might see at Newark Airport. One of the things that Vasoski testified about on, uh, I think it was Tuesday, was that one of the things that he did was pick up luggage and put luggage on the on the plane and um, do a number of other things around the the home of Epstein, including hooking up, you know, audio equipment, etc. It would, you know, it seems odd that a pilot would be carrying luggage onto a plane, but of course, I guess if you're also transporting underage um, females that the less people that see and know who's coming on and off, the better. Yeah. I interviewed a number of pilots uh, who are, you know, among the elite for this private edu- private aviation world, uh, you know, whose clients own a Gulfstream 5 or a Gulfstream 7 jet, uh, $50 million, $70 million jet. In that world, what these pilots told me is that the client dictates everything. Every aspect of your working life is is determined by the whims and, and taste of the client. Uh, some told me that uh, they were hired through you know, a chief of staff to a rich client, never met or saw the rich client. They were told when to be in the cockpit. They were in the cockpit at that time. The door was always closed. And the client preferred no contact and maximal privacy. Other pilots told me, actually, no, I'll take that back. The same pilot told me he had a different client um, who liked to fly to Las Vegas and would ask the pilots and a a flight, you know, one or two flight attendants to join the client as they rolled around like big spenders in Las Vegas because he wanted to have a big entourage Mm -hmm. and would be generally included in the client's social world you know, at a kind of a junior level, um, it can run, run the gamut. So right. yeah, the, the client can save, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you can load baggage or keep away for the baggage. We have other people to do that. Um, yeah, it's up to the client. Right. And I think Vasoski also had testified again, I'm, I'm relying on, uh, what I have read, um, by other by other reporters, but or, or listened to by other reporters, but it's my understanding that Vasoski had testified, you know that the the cockpit door was closed. Uh, of course, on on cross examination, uh, it was brought out that um, you know it, he was never told he couldn't come out. Um, on the other hand, he also testified that he was you know close with Epstein. That Epstein, uh, I think, paid for his daughter's uh, both of his daughters' college education. Uh, etc. And then um, on redirect, the AUSA, uh, Jim Comey's daughter was was handling him as a witness, uh, said, well, you know, did did your daughters ever give him a massage? And he said, absolutely not. Right. So, um, you know, it sounds as though the government was, um, you know, attempting to portray Vysotsky, again, one of six of his pilots um, as 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 being um you know, someone who was close with Epstein, who did a lot for him, more than just what a pilot would do, um, you know, but went on the plane, stayed in the cockpit, didn't come out. The defense was attempting to um, show that, uh, you know, he, he 
he certainly wasn't told to stay in the cockpit and again um, was um, was close with Epstein um, but but never saw or witnessed anything uh, on on the plane at least when he piloted it um, I am interested to see if any other um, pilots testified it would be interesting to see if specifically if Rogers testified um, because as as we've discussed we've seen his his logs um, and he may or may not be able to shed light on the individuals who those initials were to him and you know why it was that he after Epstein was first arrested uh, changed his quote-unquote reporting style to not include certain uh, initials right um, so yeah, it, it and and again at the end of the day it, it all centers around the majority uh, at least according to Rogers uh, flight records the majority of the flights came in and out of Teterboro right here in New Jersey yeah and I think that's uh, at, at first I wasn't necessarily believing testimony from Rogers from the first trial in Florida mm-hmm. uh, you know these are not well, the 727 is a big plane, but a lot of mm-hmm. these Gulf Streams are pretty small. And I was thinking, you have to know who's on the plane if you're the pilot. Right. And my uh, pilot contact said, sometimes, sometimes not. If you're in, in the cockpit, um, there is often at least two doors between you and the, uh, the, the, the client. So there is often, um, you, you've got the, obviously the cockpit door. But then there's kind of there's often a little service area uh, where you might have a crew sleeping station uh, big enough for a bed to just barely lie flat, a bathroom, a kitchen um, that is both used by crews during long flights and to prepare meals and drinks for the client. Um, So you've got at least two doors on Epstein's 727. There were multiple compartments going back, including this living room area with this donut-shaped couch we've learned from uh, this trial. So that makes me less incredulous uh, and really curious to see how the testimony goes in this trial, because it actually is possible for all of this to be happening and the pilot to genuinely not know and or to say, I I don't want to (laughs) know. Right. I'd rather not know. Right. Do you think that the spotlight that has been put upon uh, these private aircrafts and these, uh, you know, air, airports, you know, such as Teterboro, uh, might change, A, either the perception of folks that use these airports? Um, you know, you started by saying this is uh, kind of the rich and the famous and people want to be seen there to something that is nefarious and and or do you think that it, it could ultimately change um, you know federal rules FAA rules rules regarding um, security etc what do you think sure so um, after we published our story um, two congressmen from uh, North Jersey was uh, representative Josh Gottheimer of Wyckoff and Bill Pascrell of Patterson um, introduced legislation to study this issue, to say that you know, there are less stringent security regulations and staff training at Teterboro and similar facilities. And the TSA, the legislation authorized a study. It didn't authorize any kind of fix to say the TSA needs to study this and see if there are security threats or law enforcement threats because of this private uh, uh, aviation network 
and report back to Congress on what they find. Um, so we were happy to have any kind of, you know, official response to in which members of Congress were agreeing that this seems um, strange that we have this large network that operates completely on its own with very limited regulation. Um, nothing has come of that process. Uh, so maybe this trial, and especially the fact that it opens, the trial opens with um, establishing testimony from one of Epstein's pilots, maybe this brings more uh, people talking about this issue. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if nothing happens because I think a lot of people, uh, both legislators and regular Americans, would find it, uh, would agree with industry to say, well, do you want cops checking your trunk every time you go for a drive? Mm -hmm. Well, that's my plane. Hands off my plane. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's a pretty good argument. And uh, I haven't heard of anybody, at least, nobody from TSA or even people who have pointed out that this is an issue. Nobody has really pointed out a way to increase uh, security at facilities like Teterboro without infringing on that basic assumption of privacy. Fascinating. Yeah, that, that balance between privacy rights and the government's interest in protecting people, that's, uh, that's, that's going to be, I think that's going to be a question that as it relates to uh, private airlines, private airports, uh, private jets, is, is we haven't heard the last of it. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah Thank you really, so uh, much for joining me, Chris. Yeah. Thank you, Meg. It'll I really be interesting. You, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what else we hear if if Teterboro gets named specifically throughout the trial. Um, if anything develops, I'd love to have you come back. Um, and sure, uh, I'd love I, to come back. I, I thank you for taking your time this afternoon uh, to shed light into uh, these details that you uh, reported on over two years ago. Yeah, thank you, Meg. I really appreciate it, and let's keep in touch. Thanks again for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen. For more information about criminal defense in New Jersey, go to hornerlaw.com. That's H-O-E-R-N-E-R -E -E law.com.